women putting away falsehood, let us all speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as they have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to get in your work, that as we go into this journey of restoration, that it can be life-changing for not just ourselves, but for our families and the places that we work and also our church. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Now, my wife's gone. Uh, she came to the Saturday night service. She, she left uh, to do her schoolwork. She starts teaching on Monday. And a few days ago, I don't know if you've ever felt very close to your spouse. Uh, those moments you just feel like, man, I'm totally in love. I don't know. Sometimes you maybe far and beyond. <laughs> But I, I, I was thinking about this, and I came across this. this. This thing, the house rules that Jennifer put up at her door into our bedroom since we got married. And I was looking at the house rules, and I go, man, she lives these. And then therefore, when she lives them, I need to live them as well. And so it's always, always be honest, count your blessing, bury each other's burdens, forgive and forget, be kind and tender-hearted, comfort one another, keep your promises, be supportive to one another, be true to each other, look after one another, treat each other like you treat your friend. But most of all, love one another deeply from the heart. And so I look at this and I just go, Wow, this is interesting when you have rules to live in a home. But I was praying, and I really felt the Lord say, these are the rules you need to live in this church. And, uh, and so this is why I'm on this kick of restoration. And so one of the things that our marriage does is when one comes home, the other greets, greets at the door. There's no way we sit at home and wait until someone fiddles with the locks. When we know someone's coming home, we greet each other, whether we like it or not. And, I, and sometimes I hit the doorbell, and I, and I have the key, because I know she didn't see me, so I'll just say, we got rules. And so the thing is, one thing that I wanted to show you is the same thing within the, this church, and I'm using the... Uh, the, the word gift. It's important that we greet one another when we come into the church. And that's really important because life is hard out there. 
it's difficult. Sometimes we get, have no eye contact with people. And then the next one is introduce somebody new to somebody. You know, just to say, hey, I want to meet my friend, so-and-so, and introduce someone. The next one is follow up. When you see them the following week, it's important to say, hey, I remember you. And usually I gave you a hint. If you don't remember their names, just call them buddy. And so, <laughs> so if I call you buddy, I'm just joking. I really know your name. And, and then um, and thanking somebody. Man, there's a lot of things that... We, we're not grateful for. So it's good to thank the worship team for what they've done to lead us in the worship, to thank the nursery workers, to thank the people that are setting up the refreshments, the clean up, the uh, children's church workers. It's good when you pick up your kids just to thank them, and that's important. Now, while I'm going on this, I want to use a scripture that's based on our recalibration as a church. And if you're new to this church or this is your first time here, uh, two years ago, I really felt the Lord say, I need to work on restoration with your heart. I've been in ministry for 36 years. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of bitterness. Uh, being a pastor, you get nailed a lot. And so the Lord has restored a lot of things in my life. So therefore, I need to bring other people into the restoration and allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse you from this brokenness that we live so we can live joyous lives. And so it's based on the scripture here, what Paul wrote. It says, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped. As each part is working properly, it promotes the body's growth in building itself in love. And so this is interesting how... God has used the analogy, the body of Christ. And so therefore, we're part of each ligament of the body of Christ. And so when I'm walking here on the stage, hopefully all my muscles will be on unison together. And so you know when you have a certain ligament in your body that decides, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing, like your back. And then when it goes into spasm, it affects the entire body, doesn't it? And therefore, you're in a fetal position, and you're not going where you need to be going because you have a brokenness, a, a brokenness, a ligament that's difficult in your life. And so this is our purpose. This is important for us to work as the body of Christ because our purpose is simply to restore in order to restore. And our mission here at the church is to return the broken to wholeness in expanding community of grace and compassion. We're all messed up, right? Okay, if you don't think you're messed up, you're messed up because you don't think you're messed up. <laughs> okay, and so you had to understand that two years ago, three years ago, when we were running over 200 people and we were doing three services, the whole church was revolved around me. And I preached 150 some service uh, sermons a year. And I noticed I could not keep up with the pace because I was everybody's personal pastor. And so therefore, God put on my heart to really understand, in order to be one church that's effective in the community, you have to empower other people within the church. It's not about the pastor anymore. Now, a lot of people, thank you. <laughs> you don't like me, do you? <laughs> so a lot of pastors, you know, we, we're here, it's, it's their church, like Joel Steen or something like that. He's known for that church. It's around him. 
And so my job is changing. It's about serving the leaders within this church. It's about serving the people that want to step up in ministry. And so therefore, I'll still be part of the church. I'll still be preaching the bulk of the bulk of the time, but, but what was fascinating here is that the people that agreed to, to be part of the body, the part of the leadership team that I'm going to invest in, it was Korak and Rebecca and Keisha and Al, Lillian, Jenny, Dana, Renee, Jesse, and uh, family minister staff, Randall Jr., Liz, and Valerie. These are the effectiveness, the leadership of the body that's going to be moving into our recalibration, into our relaunch in the first Sunday of October. And so now we're going into the sermon, and I'm doing a sermon series called The Journey uh, for Restoration. And I use the road trip analogy, like we're going on this 12-week road trip, whether you like it or not. And what's fascinating about the road trip is that if you look on the screen, we talked about I am powerless, I need God to restore me, let go and let God, a fearless look within, an honest confession and prayer in a safe place, made ready by God for restoration and humbly asking God to restore us. Now here's the thing, we're going to go off-roading on this one. This one we're going to get in the nitty-gritty, we're going to get dirty. Because this is a ride that's almost going to a four-wheel drive ride that doesn't have any suspension. It's going to be rough because sometimes we don't want to go here. We've been avoiding this subject, but part of this is part of the restoration as well. And so this is where I discovered last week when David, uh, David humbly asked God to restore him, to take some of his character defects, his brokenness, and heal him. He even said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Create in me a clean heart, Lord. And so when we understand that God is able to cleanse us from this craziness and brokenness in our lives. But in David, I was thinking last week, it all had to do with relationships that were broken with him. He messed up in a lot of relationships. And so I can guarantee each of us have a relationship that needs to be repaired. That sometimes what we end up doing is we say, you know what? That one's over with. That one's done. I'm not talking to that person. I'm ignoring them. And so, therefore, how do I get fully restored in the way that God has called me to do if I'm unwilling to be open for restoration in that relationship? Now, I said willing to be open. I'm not saying to restore it yet. But we have to allow God to penetrate our heart. This is what Richard Rohr says about this. And then this is deep. He says this, God fully forgives us, but the karma of our mistakes remains. And we must still go back and repair the bonds that have been broken. Otherwise, others will not be able to forgive us. We'll remain stuck, and we will both remain in a wounded world. We usually need to make amends to forgive even ourselves. Amazing grace is not a way to avoid honest human relationships, but to redo them. But now gracefully, for the liberation of both sides, nothing just goes away in the spiritual world. All must be reconciled and accounted for. That is crazy stuff. Because there's a lot of relationships in my past that I just, you know what, I don't even want to think about, I don't want to talk about, I don't want to deal with it. We sweep it right under the carpet. 
But if you go back on the screen, restoration is not a spiritual concept. It happens in the real world with, with real people. So I can't focus on restoration just spiritually, oh, I'm happy, 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 and all this stuff without dealing with the real world issues and real relationships. And so this is where I want to challenge all of us to prayerfully prepare for such an encounter. Not, you're not ready yet, and sometimes I'm not ready yet, but ask the Lord to just soften your heart in that situation, to prepare us to make amends, to restore a bad relationship. Now, I understand that sometimes when we have been violated as children, that relationship can never and should never be restored. But I'm talking about when we're adults and dealing with stuff and that how do we deal with these situations in our lives. And so our New Testament reading, the Apostle Paul is crazy, and I, and a crazy in a good way. And what he does, he talks about giving us a picture what it means to live in the presence of his love. How do we live things like this without the Holy Spirit moving in our lives? The first characteristics that Paul talks about that needs to, de to develop in all of our lives is the word truthfulness. We're in a society that truth is irrelevant sometimes, isn't it? And then all of a sudden, your truth and all this truth and nothing but the truth. What's the truth? But Apostle Paul talks about in relationships, we've got to live the truth. We've got to be truthful in our situations and truthful about who we are. Now, there's an old saying that I put on the screen that says, there is my truth, there is your truth, and there is the truth, right? Now, I have my truth, you have your truth. And it gets very competitive, doesn't it? Especially in a political realm. But how, what is Paul talking about here? The truth is about relationships. Because we want people to understand our truth, but we don't want to see and understand their truth, right? Because it's our, we're, we're right. We like to be right. The ego wants to be right a lot of times. And so sometimes we're very unwilling to hear other people's side of the story. And we roll our eyes and have our arms crossed and, and get ready to defend ourselves and stuff. We seldom ever listen. I heard a long time ago, God gave you two ears and one mouth. Use it in proportion. And so listen twice as long as you speak. Some of us just have one big mouth and no ears, if you think about it. Because we talk and talk and talk, and we're not going to listen. And so this is where Paul talks about this in verse 25. It's on the screen. So then, putting away falsehood, let us all of us speak the truth to our neighbors. For we are members of one another. This is Paul's goal here, is unity. Not to shut someone up. Because we have those fantasy conversations, don't we? Am I the only one that does that? Come on, don't leave me hanging. I know you do. That you go, wow, when I get there, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this. I, I got, And all of a sudden, you think you're a prosecutor and attorney, that you're just going to shut them down. But Paul says, no, you speak the truth, and your goal is unity. Not the division. Not to shut someone up. And so if you look on the screen, this is why Paul talks about this. We belong to one another. You know that, right? How I treat you will have ripple effects that will bounce back and affect me. And how you treat me will have ripple effects that will bounce back and affect you. In between me and you, others 
will tend to be affected. You know, somebody at work that ticks you off? You know, I, I can't use analogies because I only work with two people, and that's Brooke and, <laughs> Brooke and Ruben, so I, I can't use those. But the thing is, when we go home, what do we do? We tell our spouse, right? And our spouse is affected, and so obviously if your spouse is a good spouse, she'll take your side. And so then, therefore, it'll be edifying, won't it? And then you get more glued in your truth, and then you're a jerk the next day. Because she just reinforced you because she protects you or he protects you. You see what I mean? And so therefore, when you deal with a situation, your goal is not unity. Your goal is I want to be heard and I'm right and you need to shut up. And so this is not the case because it affects everybody. We owe it to each other that we should not be demanding here, but we should have the intention and the goal to be, bring unity and not harm to one another. And we need to hear clear and honest of what their version is. I've, I've had, you know, times in my, with the staff, I, I had to sit there and listen, and I could sit there and go, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, because I'm judging myself on my intention and not how I'm coming across. And so there's a lesson before the recalibration that I had to go, okay, I need to stop this. I need to work on this. We even brought a moderator that, that, that I was determined to say, you know what, I don't need to be the problem anymore. I, I can't do this. And there's things in my life that I needed to change. And so this is where, where if you're seriously about bringing unity, you've got to understand it's not about you, but it's about bringing unity. And this is what I discovered, apologies. We are a society that has no concept on how to properly apologize. I'm sorry. Oh, okay, I feel better now. And I always like that, I'm sorry, but you're such a jerk. Wow, I accept that apology. That was powerful. Thank you. I feel a lot better, right? It doesn't work. So I've learned when a sincere apology needs to take place, it's two statements and one question. That's it. I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? That's what we need to experience when we bring unity, when we have brokenness within ourselves. I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? And when someone says, I forgive you, I don't believe it right away because forgiveness is a long process. I love it when people say, I'm going to work on it. But I, I want to build the trust. I want to be honest here. And so there's two simple statements and one question. And this is the beginning of restoration when it comes to a relationship. Now the problem is we don't think we're wrong. And the problem is if we don't think we're wrong, then we're not going to apologize. They need to apologize. Have you done that? No, they need to apologize. They need to apologize. Let me hit close. <laughs> I had two people in our church do this, a husband and wife. Boom, boom, boom. He died. She said everything that he wanted to see sitting at his bed when he's laying in bed dead. And I was going, this is wrong. Because if you knew he was going to die, you wouldn't be playing these games anymore. And so this is important to understand that we are so needing to bring unity with these, these situations. Until you prayerfully, and I mean this, 
prayerfully place, place your heart in God's hand. And then knowing yourself that you can talk to that person without getting defensive, then you're not ready. Because you don't want to get defensive. You want to hear their story. You want to hear what's going on because you value that person over your own feelings right now. Because your goal is to bring unity, not to play the justification game. And we do that a lot. And when we justify what happens, we start becoming an accuser. Accusations. And that leads us to the second characteristic that Paul's talking about. As I put on the screen, non-accusations. Have you tried to have an argument without accusing? Think about it. Because when you use the, the accusations and stuff, you're really not focused on unity. You're focused on being right in the situation or expressing your hurts. And I, I, I'll show you how important it is, and I'll turn it around. The thing is, when we're accusatory, then we forget the first character as truthfulness. See, this is where Paul says this, and this is where it gets deep. Be angry. And we, we don't... We, we continue to go on to that. But Paul's saying, if you're angry, then be angry. This is where I've seen a lot of people go, I'm not angry. Nope, 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 no. Nope. I'm not angry. I'm not angry. You're such a jerk. And I'm thinking, you're angry. Why are you saying you're not angry? And Paul's saying, if you're angry, then be angry. It's okay to be angry. But then he says this, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. This is where you live, which you lived in Alaska in the summer where it doesn't go down for five months. <laughs> okay, I'm moving to Alaska, okay? And do not make room for the devil. This text right here is so deep to help us when it comes to this. Paul is basically saying, you know what? Be angry, that's fine. But what are you going to do with your anger? Because anger is such a motivation, isn't it? It builds up your adrenaline. It's much easier to be angry than be sad. Because sad, just you're in a fetal position. But angry, you're just, right? Am I the only one that gets angry here too? <laughs> anger is a motivation. But what Paul is saying is don't kill each other, but look for a solution in your anger. You see, there's a big difference. How are we going to resolve this? How are we going to deal with this? How are we going to make this right? And so, and he uses the analogy, don't let the sun down. Now, the thing is, obviously my wife and I don't go, okay, you got 10 minutes before the sun sets, okay? We got to deal with this real quick. But here, here's one thing that we've learned. When my wife or myself or a friend are not ready, we'll say, look, I just want you to know I love you to death. And the reason I, I love you to death is because that's why I'm hurt. And my whole goal is we're going to resolve this. And we're going to be back better than ever before. But not right now. I need a break. I need some time. But I care for you. I love you. And, and if you want to take a step further, you pray together. Because it's hard to pray when you have no intentions figuring this out. Now, if you want to force somebody to pray, good luck on that one. Because they'll start praying their agenda. God, take this guy's life right now. Because I'm, <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden you're manipulating a lot of your prayers. 
you know, misquoting scripture and saying, how my wife learned submission. You know, it ain't going to work that way. Okay? It's repentance as our prayer start, our, our starts. And so this is interesting to me. Because he says, do not make room for the devil. What does that mean? If you look at the definition devil, it's the Satan. And Satan's de the definition Satan is what? The accuser. You get where I'm connecting these? So when we're accusatory, who are we working with? Satan. Isn't that crazy? I mean, think about it. Satan is a genius when it comes to separation between us. Because he knows how it works. And so, therefore, we become accuser. This is where you jump into the I message and the meme, uh, the you message. And this is where when you start off giving your message and you're going, you are a son of a great guy. You did this, you did this, you did this. And, you know, I don't know how I can trust you. And you're a mother of all holy people. That is what's called the you message. I'm telling you right now, it's accusatory all the way through, and you're never going to resolve it. And if you resolve it, someone's deeply resentful and very quiet about it because you beat that person into submission, and they never can be themselves among you, or they'll never feel safe among you. Right? So therefore, whatever they're struggling with, there's no authenticity. So it's just, and I've done that in my first marriage. Horrible. And so we look at this, that, that the form of rage when it comes into us is really an accusation. And so do not attempt to make amends with somebody if you're not ready to hear the accusations. This is where I've seen a lot of parents that have been absent from their children's lives. And they come up to you, and they're going, I need to make amends. And they, they go, hey, I, I know I, I haven't been around. And they go, yeah, you haven't been around. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You've been a deadbeat dad all your life. You see? And that person is not ready to hear it. They shouldn't even try to make amends. And so if you're a father or mother that needs to make amends with your children, you have to prepare to listen to the accusations. And then learn how to say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? So the thing is, this is where it's hard because you know you're going to be accused. And then what, the, what does the parent do or what does the spouse do? Like they say, you know what, I don't believe you trust me and that spouse has been cheating twice. And then he gets ticked off that, why don't you trust me? <laughs> okay, Give it time, dude. Trust is something that's built. Trust is not given. It's built. And so, therefore, you may, if you're truly repentant, you will put up with this stuff until the relationship is built up. See, if you're making amends, it's on the screen, you are going to admit that you are sorry for what you've done and seek forgiveness. You can't control how another person will react to you. You can only control your reaction. It is better to leave the situation alone until you're prepared for the grace. Uh, to, like, you can only control your reaction. It is better to leave the situation alone until you have prayed for the grace to listen humbly and to admit fault where you are at fault. 
offer a sincere apology and to offer to make it right any way possible. See, the thing is, forgiveness is the first step, but to make it right, it takes a while. In fact, it takes a long time. I always tell people in marriages that they've been married for 10 years and their situation's horrible. I say, Give, it took you 10 years to get to where you are now. Give yourself half of that to get where you need to be. And they go, five years? Well, look, it took you 10 years to get here. You see what I mean? It needs to be a consistent thing. And, and consistency is important. And so this is where the next characteristic we talk about is being a blessing to people. And this is one thing my wife has taught me. If you look on verse 28, it says, Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil take talk come out of your mouth. You know, if we took this seriously, a lot of us would be dead silent all week. You know right, right? And so, uh, let no evil talk come out of your mouth, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. So the end goal, what he's using the analogy is, look, this person's using his hands for self-centeredness, ego-narcissistic stealing things, and now he's using his hands to edify and help the poor. Then Paul says, look at the analogy. The mouth, because it's been so evil and tearing saying for hurtful things, then the mouth with restoration and change needs to be edifying and giving people grace. Who likes to be somebody that loves you to death, that says, you know what, I like you, you care for, I'm proud of you and stuff like that. All of us need to hear this, that you are proud. Let me, I'm going to get emotional. I'm doing a funeral in two weeks of a guy at 52 years old that lived all his life to be accepted by his dad. And he never has been. And he was overweight and he was called fat and all kinds of names all through his life. And in his entire life, 53 years, was trying to get somebody that would accept him for who he is. And when I prayed, and this is crazy, I prayed for him to die because he wanted to because he was paralyzed from the neck down. And he goes, I want to go, Kevin. I want to go. I want to see my dad. I want to see my dad. The only reason he wants to see his dad, because he, because his dad, he wants his dad's approval. Till this day. His dad died 11 years ago. And I was going, oh, you've got to be kidding. And so when, when you hear stories of this, where a father treated his son like dirt all of his life, but yet we can use it to edify our, edify, if we don't get it, doesn't mean we shouldn't give it. We need to give what we, sometimes we haven't received. And so therefore, to make amends is being a blessing to somebody. Saying, hey, you know what, you're a great person, thank you, I'm sorry we have had to work this, or I'm sorry that this has happened, but deep down you are just a kicking person. And so this is important. Going and making amends to someone to restore a relationship, we have to be ready. And we have to pray like we're ready to restore. And I can teach this now because I restored my relationship with my brother and my dad. You know, I had to be, I couldn't teach this. This is why I moved this 
<laughs> way back. But man, it works. It really works. See, on the screen, grace is amazing because it's always a partnership with God. It starts with God revealing new possibilities of restoration for us. Then we prayerfully, by faith, walk toward those new possibilities. When we take steps of faith, God's grace always meets us and empowers those who have taken it. So I want to challenge you today that relationship that you just said, forget it. But yet it's eating at you. Every time that person's name, you go, don't bring up that name. Well, okay, apparently I'm the only one that's done that too. You know, it's interesting. When we want to go somewhere and we realize that person is going to be there, we go, oh, I don't want to go. We do this. And our whole direction in life is avoidance. I don't want to do that. They're your dad. Wait, I, I know I got to deal with it, but I don't want to deal with it. And then we'll go back. See? Because you're avoiding pain. You're not avoiding it. You're in it. You deal with it. But they don't want to offer reconciliation to heart because sometimes reconciliation is a lot different than restitution. My dad never apologized. My dad never accepted his part of the deal. But the reconciliation was my part because I could not allow it to control me anymore. This thing, what happens is with a reconciliation or restoration, it, it doesn't necessarily let my dad off the hook. It lets me off the hook. Then when I want to visit my mom, if you guys don't know, my mom, she has dementia. I don't have to second guess it. I can go to the hospital and visit my mom, and my dad's there. And you know what? I'm doing my son thing. And so back on the screen, make a list <laughs> of people, and it could be me, of people you know you have harmed, Ask God to make you ready to make amends. Prayerfully do the work of preparation. Then when you are ready, contact the people on your list and set a time to make amends. That's hard. This is why I said at the beginning, this is going to be a rough road. But we're going to ride together. Because my goal as a pastor is restoration for me. And it took humble, it took sucking your pride, it took letting go of your rights. But man, I've noticed when I did, my marriage got much stronger because it didn't affect it anymore. You see? And so I want to encourage you, the relationship with your children, the relationship with uh, your parents or an ex, you have kids together. <laughs> you got to work this through. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you for what you've done and the people that we've been thinking. We just pray, Lord, for the spirit of pride to remove and, and learn so much about not allowing Satan, the accuser, to work within us. We pray, Lord, in our anger, we will work in a way that will bring unity in the situation and that we will allow the Holy Spirit to move in us. 
we just thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the conviction that is happening in our hearts right now. That we pray, Lord, that you will give us the courage.